Welcome back to another episode of Tank Talks. On this week's episode of the News Rundown with John Ruffalo and myself, we're going to do a 2023 recap on all the highs and lows over the last year and some of our predictions for 2024 and beyond. So let's go back in a recap of 2023. You know, some of the biggest news coming to last year has to be obviously the AI and machine learning breakthroughs with ChatGPT going mainstream and global and all the significant advancements in AI, especially with ChatGPT and BARD and others really transforming the industries from healthcare to finance, entertainment, and well beyond. You know, how do you think this year will be remembered with all these massive changes in AI when we look back at the end of next year? Strictly from an AI perspective, I think that for uh, old fogies like me, its history continues to repeat itself. This feels like 1995-ish, 1996, on the rise of the infrastructure players to the internet. So this is the rise of the Nortels, the JDS Unifaces, the the Lucids. But that uh, very quickly over only a few years flattened out. And it ultimately led to the rise of the application layer sitting on top of the engines. So to me, we're going to look back and say this was the beginning of the building of the railroad tracks but on the future part we're all going to be talking about the applications and what it's doing to our daily lives or to our daily businesses yeah interesting so the applications you're talking about that came out maybe five six years later after the infrastructure layers were built you know maybe that time frame is getting compressed i mean we saw at the beginning of the year ChatGP come out with you know three 3.5 and then four and then obviously six months later, Deb Day and all these applications came out in their own app store. So maybe that time frame gets compressed, but I do agree that this is the beginning of the infrastructure building. Yeah, is because in 1995, again, uh, a little bit of history, as the consumer internet was really born, it was 1994 and it was the launch of the Mosaic. The Mosaic launch is equivalent to me to the chat GPT. Everybody started going nuts and it was like, holy moly. All right, now what are we going to do about it, right? And it took a while, and I agree with you, you know, the the, the compression uh, is it might be certainly there. But the promise of what it delivered took about seven years later, coincidentally, after the real burst of the internet. And this is what gave rise to, you know, the Google. And eBay was a little bit early, but the Googles, etc. And the key was for the economic value that was generated to the ultimate businesses and to the consumer, it was the application layer that took the vast majority of the economic rents, where the infrastructure layer took the commodity return. It's just fascinating. Will we be seeing that exact same history unfold? Yeah, it's interesting because the tech giants are obviously betting on the infrastructure layer while also owning the application layer. You've got NVIDIA, Salesforce, Amazon, Microsoft, Google betting on Cohere, Anthropic, and others. Do you think they're playing the hedge game or do you think they're just basically trying to make sure that they don't lose at anything and they try to win at least one of the two? What's interesting on the big player, let's just use Microsoft as an example. I suspect that they're trying to control the infrastructure, the access, and the application layer. It's extremely difficult. You can't you can't own all of that, but that's what they're trying to do. And the thing that's a little bit different here is that the infrastructure layer, I'm not talking the physical, the physical is the chipsets and all that sort of stuff. 
it's on top. It's really the LLMs. And what's different is the LLMs, which I'm calling an infrastructure layer, in many cases, they're building in the relevancy, the indexing, and the AI all together, which ultimately leads to the application. In the case of the internet, it was the application sitting on top of, it was the ISPs, which gave that access. But here is the interesting thing. And I can tell you definitively, because I was heavily involved in this, the infrastructure layer, which was the ISPs uh, and the big ones, which became the telcos, they didn't think that the value would accrete to the application layer. So they just said, these crappy little apps, who cares? We control. So it will be the question. And then that commoditized. So that's the question, Right. If you are focusing on the whole thing, do you get nothing or very little commodity layer or do you really truly control? But again, it was the exact same history repeating itself. Yeah, I'm laughing a little inside because you you mentioned like three big components there, infrastructure, application layer, uh, and the other one, you know, with Microsoft right in the middle of all three of them. Yet you still have like the Adobe acquisition of Figma not being approved <laughs> for one application, right? right? right. You know, talk about uh, monopolies here, uh, which are not being questioned. But let's talk about some of the blowups, obviously, we saw in 2023. I don't even know which one to start with. We had the VC blowups, obviously, with Tiger, most recently OpenView, and other later stage firms really struggling to hold on to those paper gains. You know, we saw the recapitalization of names here in Canada, like Clearco, and then, you know, the fall down of Renault run. But I think the biggest blow up I would say has got to be the FTX blow up. I think it's probably the one that shook the world in the crypto markets as well as the financial markets globally. You know, what do you think we'll look back on from that FTX story among all the blow ups we saw this year that will linger hopefully in people's minds and, and lessons learned? Well, I think on the FTX story, it depends on the perspective you have. Some people view that as a blow up of the crypto industry. Well, you know, look at the rise of Bitcoin and Ethereum the past 12 months. Really hasn't impacted the industry per se. So I don't think FTX is a crypto story. I think it's a governance story of the peak hubris of investing without thinking, without you know ignoring all the red flags. That's what's going to go down of and it, I think that's correlated to the VC industry in the lack of discipline and, you know, the FOMO and, and, and the rush to believe something that doesn't exist. And I think that has parallels with, you know, obviously the Theranos, you know, story and or, uh, you know, Celsius or whoever you want to believe. So to me, with the resettling back of interest rates, et cetera, and there will be the thinning of the crowd of VCs. Will we just see going back, which I believe, the reverting to the long-term mean of common sense of funding businesses that you get to know, et cetera. So I think that's what more of the story is. And, and I think that's been the true impact of FTX. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of embodied the whole sort of shifting of power from entrepreneurs, founders back to investors. Uh, which we're seeing now, obviously, in traditional venture investing, whereas the entrepreneurs and founders controlled all of it. No board, 
uh, representation, no oversight, no information rights in FTX. I think that is all gone and we're getting back to common sense. You know, speaking of common sense, it feels like the world of finance and investing and just overall social media has such a huge connection to the geopolitical risk and events happening around the world. You know, with what's happening in Ukraine still with Russia and now the most recent events in the Middle East, we're seeing CEOs and you know heads of universities being called to testify or actually being canceled. So we saw Patty Cosgrove from Webflow or some a Web Summit, you know, get canceled obviously for his atrocious and dumbass comments on the war in the Middle East. You know, how do you think people in leadership positions will think about commenting or, you know, using common sense going forward when things like this happen around the world and online? I think what's going to happen is over the last number of years, businesses used their platform to call out upon social issues that may or may not have anything to do with their businesses. And I think what a lot of, you know, boards are saying is, folks, we appreciate you have a moral compass, but some of these issues are very complex and there's lots of different constituencies. So if you're going to call something out, you better, you better be consistent. And this has been the issue I would see, say most often that we're seeing right now, you know, particularly as it relates to the situation uh, in, in Israel. If you decide to call out, you better be consistent and not just call out the things that you really are trying to morally, you know, grandstand. But you really, do you really care about it or not? And you kind of watch what the crowd is going to cheer you on for. So what I think what this year says or talks about is authenticity. So if you do speak out, and I encourage people to speak out, if it's aligned with your moral compass, by all means, I mean, we're human. And if we don't speak out, things could happen that we will regret. So I think this division between authenticity to either you as an individual or to your brand versus grandstanding with the crowd, virtue signaling, all that sort of stuff, which which social media has amplified tremendously. I think that is the biggest lesson that I think some folks are starting to learn in 2023. Yeah, I think we'll look back and see how boards are actually starting to take this a lot more seriously. I think boards will start to create like crisis management policies on, uh, on you know being consistent and having a process to deal with these communications publicly when something is brought up internally or by some executive on the team. Uh, and I think there will be a separation between church and state that like someone will put out a comment as like a, an executive and say, full disclosure, this is my personal representation of, you know, my opinion, not connected to the company. I take full responsibility for this comment and do not hold my company accountable. I think is what people will probably try and uh, differentiate. But uh, again, we are, we are seeing these events happening in real time and it's very hard to kind of roll with the punches, but I'll leave it there at the 2023 recap. Let's go into 2024 predictions. So let's start off first, simple, right down the middle of the fairway. What is your prediction for the biggest changes we will see in startup valuations in 2024? Higher, lower, stay the same. I think that they're they're staying the same. I think I'll make the assumption that interest rates stay steady. I don't think they're going to go down. I think it's BS. I think it's BS. So I think that the valuations of where we have right now are largely going to stay the same. Now, 
when you say valuations, the problem is on your question is, whose perspective are we talking about, right? So I I think that the bid-ask spread between buyer and seller will continue to close. I thought it was going to close by the end of this year. It hasn't. I think it's going to get very close within the first quarter or two of next year. That is my prediction. Well, I guess if everything is uh, kind of bubbling off of interest rates, we should start with interest rates. So where do you see the US prime rate and the Fed discount rate being at the end of 2024, where it currently stands at 8.5% for the US prime today and 5.5% for Fed discount? I think it stays largely unchanged. The market is betting a decrease. First, you know, they keep on pushing the decrease. You notice that? Now it's not, oh, now it's at the end of the year. I think this is the biggest uh, misconception. You talked about the global disorder and the reshuffling of supply chains and all the discombobulation that that arises uh, or, or, or causes. Prices will not go down as a result of that. They're going to stay stubbornly sticky. My prediction is, is that excluding food and energy prices, which have the greatest volatility, we're still at four-ish percent. The U.S. just came out of it hasn't moved down. When you see it drop below 4%, it's because of the particularly the energy price volatility. So I think it's going to be stubbornly there. It's not a horrible situation, but it, but if I'm a business owner, I would make the assumption that it stays. If it goes down, great, but, but I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I agree. If inflation is still around or above three, three and a half percent, you're going to have to see the Fed discount stay around 5%. I think it could probably drop from five and a half to 5%. And the only way it goes lower is on a Biden bailout, where you basically see interest rates at the very end of the year going into the 24 election period in the US go below 5% to get Biden back in office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yes, there could be a political. Well, you know, but they keep on saying, you know, it's 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 disassociated with one another. But I but that's an interesting uh, perspective. Okay, which tech company do you think will likely go public in 2024? Stripe, SpaceX or something else? I don't think SpaceX. I don't think Elon's hatred of the public markets. I don't think so. Well, they're doing this massive tender offer. So I know. So based on those two. Uh, I would have to pick Stripe. I think so too. Yeah. I think it's definitely up at the top of the list for a lot of people and we'll see if the window opens up for them. What do you think will happen in the emerging technology space? What do you think will dominate the conversation and landscape in 2024? And what industries do you think will be the most upended because of this emerging technology shift? I I still think that 2024 is going to be the discussion of AI was, you know, very exciting in 2023 and 2024, I predict that the application layer, the practical application and what it can do to businesses, for example, and I think the first one is going to be on the customer service segment, which is the most advanced applications from a business perspective and starting to see how that literally replaces call centers and customer service agents in a very sophisticated manner and not only dealing with customer concerns and issues, but here is the thing starting to move into the inside sales role and upselling and expanding. That is going to be fascinating to watch. I think watching one of those applications will, will show 
most companies that if they don't get into the game very, very soon, their their cost footprint is going to be completely out of whack compared to their competitors. Yeah, I mean, we have investments in, in that area with the rev ops and sales ops, you know, uh, focus in site with scale stack AI. And what we're seeing from the customers is they're saying we want to be a full stack service provider on the sales side. So not only do we want to be at the top of funnel, we want to go all the way down to close and we want to own that, uh, which is really interesting and something Salesforce has obviously been trying to do. And we'll see them lean in more into that. You know, speaking of emerging technology, what do you think will be the biggest bust or next emerging bubble to go boom in 2024? Crypto, that one's already gone. You can't say that one. So pick another one. Well, you know what I think uh, is going to be a, a big question is that, you know, and we just saw this big announcement at in the Middle East on the, the climate change, you know, the, the movement of away from all carbon-based energies. There is lots of buzz around carbon capture, sequestration, et cetera. There still is a very big question, and, and, and we get excited. These are incredible technologies, no, no question. But the math in terms of the energy inputs that is required in order to achieve some of the benefits is so far off that I think that there's going to be a lot of disappointment, not whether these things here might be a good solution, but they're not going to be a good solution next year. And, uh, and, and how many years is going to take. And I think that's going to be the one big area of, uh, of disappointment. The carbon capture investment bubble is probably something that will just not financially be feasible. Last question. Before I get into the final uh, advice, words of advice for entrepreneurs, will we have a 2025 federal election in Canada or will the NDP turn on the liberals and get us a 2024 vote? Or given that they finally got this dental care package out as promised to the liberals uh, for the NDP, are we going to have to wait till 2025? What do you think it will happen? I, I think it's a 2025. There's no way that the NDP are going to trigger anything earlier. This is their... NDP's only shot of having any governing power. I think that there's going to be a backlash against the NDP and they know that. And I think it's going to be right now based on the polls, which is very, very early. The lead, particularly by younger folks on the conservative side, must be extremely troubling to both the NDP and liberals because that's their traditional uh, area of dominance, and it's not currently there. So I think it's 2025. But you know, don't count out uh, Justin, who's outstanding during election time. But it will be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, it will be. And last thing, what words of advice would you have for entrepreneurs and founders out there heading into 2024 in order to see progress and success with their startups? I think 2024 is going to be, it's not going to be a spectacular year where things are going to be flying up, but I think that we have largely bottomed out where we're going to be. And I think for founders, the uncertainty of the future in terms of, you know, in 2023, you just didn't know, like, how bad is this going to get? I think now we're at, okay, this is what the future looks like. And now I can build my business or continue to build my business based on what I see today. So I, I, I think it's going to be less worrisome about the future, but it's not going to be, it's not going to go back to the easy days of raising capital or, or getting customers. So keep your head down and the good companies are going to get through onto the other side uh, when the economy starts to take back off again. 
Well, fantastic. Maybe we'll call it the year of common sense returning. Uh, there you go. The common sense revolution. Where did I hear that before? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, John. Exciting times. Happy holidays. We'll see you in 2024. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tank Talks. We hope you found today's conversation as insightful as we did. If you're enjoying the show, we've got three quick things to ask of you. First, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. Next, follow us and stay up to date on upcoming episodes and behind-the-scenes content on social media with Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And lastly, share the love. If you found value in today's episode, share with a friend or colleague who'd benefit too. Your support helps us bring in more amazing guests and keeps the Tank Talks engine running. That's it for today. Until next time, keep disrupting and innovating.